Welcome to uh, Seeing the Unseen. I'm just going to write one scripture on the... Because we're going to be looking at this first. Uh, let's see, how many verses do I want? I don't know if you can read that. First Timothy six, sixteen through eighteen. You can look at this verse. Um, all right. Glad you're here. Glad you came out on this really bitter cold day. I was minus eight on my thermometer this morning <laughs> up in Monument. But uh it's warming up. All right, relatively speaking. My sister texted me this morning and said it was minus 34 wind chill factor in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, where she lives. Morning, Katie. And um, our friends in Montana uh, wrote me over the weekend and said it was minus 36 degrees wind chill factor, minus 16 actual temperature in northern Montana. It's on the border of Canada. And, he said, tell me again why I live here. <laughs> yeah. So I texted my son this week and I said, well, what's the temps in uh, Minneapolis where he lives? And he said, I wouldn't know. I'm up on Lake of the Woods, which is a uh, boundary lake on uh, Canada-Minnesota border. And, uh, uh, and he's out ice fishing on Lake, lake of the Woods. is 70 miles long and 60 miles across. Can you imagine the size of that? And um, the ice is probably three feet thick on that lake. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he sees in ice fishing, but. Oh. Well, at least he's in one of those ice shanties. You know, it's all outfitted with stoves and TVs and everything. And they, <laughs> they tow him out on the lake and let these guys. Uh, enjoy themselves but uh it's better than sitting in a bucket out on the ice which i've done <laughs> only had to do it a couple times and decide that wasn't for me to show how tough they were <laughs> Yeah, Sharon uh, was at the hairdresser of this or hair beauty parlor, I guess, getting fixed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, met a lady who was, uh, what did she say? Just, she's getting wimpy. She said, and imagine that. I grew up in, or I'm from Minnesota. And Sharon said, we are too. So we're, you know. We're kind of wimpy too with the with the cold uh, weather, and she said, "I'm from Shakopee, Minnesota, which is a suburb of Minneapolis, where our son lived, um, and uh, so we know that area very well." And there's a um, a religious group that meets there, a rather odd group. It's it's called uh, Ekinkar. Some kind of a religious cult, I guess. 
uh, the Church of Light and Sound. And um, I looked it up, and there's one here in uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, it's sort of a offshoot of Hinduism or something. And uh, it was a coincidence, I think, that uh, this church was across the street from the sound uh, recording studio for the rock star Prince. And uh, so maybe he had something to do with it. God, they called it the God of Light and Sound, Eck and Carr. Well, we're going to talk about the God of Light today, and it's not Eck. It's uh, uh, Jehovah. It's uh, Yahweh. And uh, what the scripture reveals about the God of Light is truly uh, awesome, amazing, inspiring to me. Makes me want to see the light, but I'm not sure we can. So we'll talk about that. Well, let's begin with prayer. Father, we want to come before you today in the Word. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us through the living scriptures. And uh, may we catch a glimpse of your glory and the light and truth of your Word and to see who you are, Father, and that you've prepared for us a place that is a glorious beyond imagination, that we haven't even begun to understand or imagine what you've uh, prepared. And Father, we look forward to that. We look forward to a life of um, goodness and righteousness and truth, the life that's to come. And uh, help us as we travel through this world that is often dark and evil, that we might uh, look up and see the glory of heaven and the promise of our reward and to know that Jesus came, to the, that you sent, uh, you came in the flesh to uh, uh, bring us to yourself and to uh, restore the glory that was lost at the beginning of creation. And Father, be with us as we make our journey through life. And uh, as we come to the end of our lives, Father, may we awaken in your light and in your glory. And uh, we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about, you know, our diagram of uh, good and evil. Uh, how do you spell it? How do you, what's the opposite of, of evil? What's evil spelled backwards? Live, yeah, live. And isn't that so true of, of uh, what God has revealed about himself? It's just the opposite of what um, the evil that's in our world. And we're well acquainted with that because um, we live with it and see it every day. And we, uh, there's a passage, uh, where is that? In, uh, <laughs> somebody can help me out. It says that, um, Lot saw the wicked deeds of Sodom, and I'm just roughly paraphrasing, and it says in King James, it vexed his righteous spirit to see <laughs> the deeds of, that were done every day in Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, sometimes I feel that way, you know. It vexes my spirit to see, to, see, to turn on the news and to, to hear what's happening in our world and uh, long for hunger for... Uh, uh, righteousness and goodness and light and truth. Just like we hunger for spring. I'm ready for spring, aren't you? <laughs> you know, I was uh, in, after the flood, um, let's see, where is this? Genesis 8. I can pull it. It's Genesis 8, after uh, God, after the flood, and God made a covenant with Noah and set the rainbow in the sky. And uh, Genesis 8, and I forgot the verses. 
And as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, day and night, heat and cold, winter and summer, uh, seed time and harvest will not cease. So I'm not too worried about global warming because the promise of Scripture is that as long as this world remains, summer and winter will be a part of our existence. I, God could just take winter out of the <laughs> equation for me. It would be all right. But uh, anyway, uh, we long for spring. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but living in Minnesota for 17 years, in the Minnesota, we called it, uh, and then spring coming, it was like liberation, getting outside, um, enjoying the summer, uh, uh, springtime of the year, seeing the flowers bloom, the birds sing, the grass growing, uh, was uh, just a joy to me. Uh, Sharon always says it's her favorite time of the year, springtime. Sways off, it's about 80 days away until the first day of spring, but we'll make it, Lord willing. <laughs> um, last week uh, Jim and Dorothy were in our class and Jim uh, stopped me afterwards and he had a question for me we were looking at uh, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20 where it says that Moses begs God to accompany him on their journey through the wilderness uh, unless your presence goes with me I'll not go, will not go, he said. So he begged for the presence of the Lord. And we talked about that mean the meaning of the word presence um, in uh, the original text. Um, it, it talked about the face of God, God overseeing with his presence their journey through the wilderness. But in that text, um, Moses begged to see God. Let me see you. And uh, God says, you can't see me and live. But I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand and you can see my back as I pass by, but you cannot see my face. No one can see my face and live. So uh, Jim said, uh, how is this, what is this about, you know, the God who we understand is the eternal spirit who uh, fills all in all and he's eternal uh, having hands and a backside, and eyes or a face. How is that? And he didn't quite grasp that. So I, he's not here this morning. <laughs> oh yeah, there he is back there. Okay, Jim. Sorry. <laughs> You're invisible. We <laughs> yeah. Um, so how is it that we could, uh, Moses could at least desire to see the face of God, the uh, Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God, uh, but he could not. How is it that God had hands? And those are terms we call it anthropomorphisms. Uh, uh, God in a, in a anthropos, like man, human, God in human form. Um, if he's an eternal spirit, how do you reconcile those? Jim, did you find an answer this week, or are you still waiting? All right, let's let's help out, Jim, and me. Me, it's a it's a mystery, you know. Uh, Paul writes that in Timothy, he says, "Great is the mystery of godliness." 
Uh, he was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached on in the world, and received up into glory. That was a hymn, and actually one of probably the earliest hymn in the, in the church, um, written by Paul. And he says, great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh. This idea of God coming in the flesh, being Emmanuel, is a, is a great mystery. How can we understand that? How can the eternal God, Jesus said in John 4, God is a spirit, uh, manifest himself in a human form, in human flesh, um, have human characteristics, anthropomorphism, human forms, and anthropopathism, human emotions uh, like ours. Or maybe our emotions are like his, or should be. Um, so, what's your answer to that? Well, how? Uh, what is Moses actually experiencing here in Exodus 33? A Christophany. A Christophany, and explain that, if it's you would. Manifestation of God on earth, uh, usually in the Old Testament, but but came to being with the Christ, with Jesus. Okay. Okay, a Christophany, another word is theophany, theos for God, and appearing in a human form, and uh, epiphany is another one. So Christophany, theophany, and epiphany, all kind of uh, are similar words that speak of um, God appearing. Okay, uh, how does the eternal spirit uh, uh, appear to man? And when you think about it, um, it's all over the Bible. Um, John says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. Verse 14, John 1. The Word, uh, the word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, that is the Word. And without Him, nothing that is made is, was made. And then verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, who is the Word? Christ. And He was in the beginning. So when you think and you read in, through Scripture about Jesus, uh, think of God in the beginning. Uh, like the Genesis 1-1 verse says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, <clears throat> and so God took on the human form in the person of the Word, the Logos, the Jesus, the Christ, and uh, uh, there's numerous examples in Scripture, and we're not, we're not going to do that this morning, but where God appears as the angel of the Lord. Um, the plains of Mamre and Abraham looks up and he three, sees three angels coming toward him, three men actually, and he greets them and they tell him uh, that his, their mission is to go to, down and see what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah and take care of things. <laughs> And one of them stays behind. Two of them leave to go to Sodom. And one of them stays behind. And uh, he's called the angel of the Lord. And Abraham says, I've seen God. And uh, Jacob, when he wrestled with the angel, that story uh, later in Genesis, uh, he called the name of that place Peniel, which means uh, I've seen God face to face. Um, how is it that Jacob saw saw God. And here's another example, um, interesting one we rarely talk about, Genesis 16, verses 7 through 14, Hagar. You remember she was the handmaiden of uh, Sarah, uh, and uh, Sarah drove her out 
uh, was decided she didn't like her. She was jealous of her and drove her away. And um, in uh, Genesis 16, it mentions the angel of the Lord appearing to her. She was almost, she was on the verge of death from uh, exhaustion and, and uh, starvation in the water. And God appeared to her, the angel of the Lord. Three times it mentions it. And uh, this, it says in verse 14, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. The Lord who spoke to her, you hear that? Uh, uh, Yahweh. You are the God who sees me, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well that where God provided her with water is called Bir Laharoi, which, uh, uh, and it's still there, the text says, between Kadesh and uh, Beret. And uh, we know this as one of the titles or names from God, El, El Roy, R-O-I. It's a Hebrew word that means seeing. So uh, she called him the God who sees. I have a book uh, in my library called uh, Praying the Names of God, and there's uh, dozens of different names uh, for God in Scripture. El Roy is one of them, the God who sees. Imagine how, you know, you could take a chapter like that, study it, and pray the name of God. God who sees me. God who looks upon us and, and sees us. God who looks upon all creation. God who looks upon uh, the birds. Not a hair of your uh, head falls to the... Um, not, <laughs> I'm getting it mixed up. Not a sparrow falls to the earth that God does not see. it. He knows the hairs on your head. He's the God who sees. Um, his names are um, faith-giving uh, to us. And so we call these theophanies or epiphanies or Christophanies, God appearing, um, often identified as the angel of the Lord. But if you uh, read carefully into the text, somewhere in that text it's going to make, it's going to say that God it's, uh, Moses was speaking to God in the burning bush. Okay, so I hope that helps answer. Uh, it's a lot a bigger question than uh, we've got time for, but uh, the word appeared numerous times in the Old Testament, and it tells us that Jesus just didn't begin when he was born in Bethlehem. Okay, he's from eternity, from the ages uh, uh, ages past. God manifests in the flesh. Larry, yeah. I think it would be easier for us to understand this if we didn't think that uh, God is in our image, but that we were made in the image of God. Yeah. So every time you look at another person, you're seeing an image of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's uh, another verse that brought to mind um, for me, um, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living soul. What is the breath of life? Breath of heaven. Um, this, let me just mention again uh, from last week. Um, Moses begged for God's presence. I want to see your face. And Moses, and God told Moses, you cannot see my face and live. Um, the word in Hebrew is panim, panim. And uh, in the tabernacle, there was a table like this set on the north side of the 
tent of meeting, it was called, where bread was put out. And it was called, if you have the King James, the shoe bread, S-H-E-W, or the show bread. Do you ever think about what that means? Uh, the Hebrew word is um, lahim ha parim. Uh, parim is that word for face, okay? And so some translations have it, uh, the bread of the face, or the bread of the presence. Now it's not literally the face of God, but it represented the presence of God. And bread is the staple of, of life. And so uh, God was giving in to Moses in this um, symbol, the bread of the face or the bread of the presence, an answer to his question, will you go with me? Will your presence, will your face be with us? And if it's not, we will not go. Um, it's somewhat related to uh, our Lord's Supper. When we go to the table and uh, there's the bread and the, the wine which represents his blood, uh, bread of the face, the bread of God's very presence. Okay. Now let's go to this passage where I wanted us to camp this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse uh, 16 through 18. Uh, let's see. Beginning verse 15, God will bring about in his own time um, his, the fulfillment of his promises. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen nor can see, to him be honor and might or glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of light, the God of glory, the God who lives in unapproachable light, the God who alone is immortal. Now let's just unpack this uh, verse, <laughs> kind of read through things quickly and we don't think much about them, but this verse is, is a powerful thought. Uh, to add another one, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are, we are called into the light of God's glory. Isn't that an awesome thought, Eric? You guys are fairly new Christians to be called into the light of God's glory. And I want us to think about this idea of immortality and light. He alone is immortal. Um, what does the word immortal mean? Uh, it's a compound word. Uh, Anthanasia, Anthanasia. Um, part of that word is Thanatos, uh, Greek, and, and it means it means death. Okay, but it's not Thanatos; it's Anna, Anthanatos. Uh, that little a in the beginning of that word it makes all the difference. In Hebrew or Greek, it's uh, Alpha, the letter Alpha. It's and and combination in a word like this it's called the alpha primitive which actually means the very opposite so thanatos means death and and thanatos means no death immortality means no death uh, like the word uh, 
um, uh, theism, belief in God, study of God. Uh, what is a theist? What is an atheist? One who just is just the opposite, who doesn't believe in, in God. So that A makes all the difference. Um, and it'll come up in the next word, the uh, uh, unapproachable. He lives in unapproachable light. So the Greek word uh, anthanatos means not death. Immortal means no death, deathlessness, the state of uh, no death or not subject to death, that which shall never die, incapable of dying, life destined to endure without end, God's uniquely living without beginning or end, and cannot die. He is the uh, only, how does it describe him, the... Um, uh, who alone is immortal, okay? It suggests, you know, like we said, what's the opposite of evil? Life, love, or live? Uh, it is um, eternal life. God cannot die, okay? And a vine, who's a Greek scholar, suggests that immortal means more than just deathlessness. It suggests the very opposite. It, su it suggests life. Life enjoyed fully as life. Life that is truly life. And all the meaning of life. And so down toward the end of, uh, of uh, let's see, verse uh, 19. In this way they will lay up treasures Verse 18, command those who uh, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Life that is truly life. What a neat saying that is. And that's what uh, it means that God is immortal, alone is immortal. He possesses life that's truly life. And he breathed into man the breath of life, and we became living souls. Um, a vine, again, in this Greek scholar, addresses an argument that the skeptic or agnostic might make. Uh, God alone, to God alone belongs immortality. He is neither liable nor capable of death. The Son of God could become capable of death only in what way? How is it that, how, is Jesus not God? If God is immortal, he's not subject to death. It's impossible for, you know, there are things that are impossible for God. Hebrews says impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to die. So how is it that Jesus died for us on the cross? Is he not God? He was a man when he came to earth. Okay. Yeah, the answer to that question is uh, uh, the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us, who came in the flesh. Hebrews uh, 2, just a couple of pages over. Um, let's see. Hope I had the right reference here. 
Hebrews 2 and beginning in verse uh, 14. Uh, somebody want to read that for us? Uh, Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself had suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Okay. We're flesh and blood. But what's the problem in our life? <laughs> Sin. Sin. Okay, and in order for uh, a holy... God, who we're going to see in a moment, lives in unapproachable light. And the light is a symbol not only of physical light, if, if that's really what it is. It's a, it's a symbol of uh, divine perfection, of goodness, of sinlessness. And so how could man, uh, you and I, live in the presence of a holy God? Well, this verse uh, explains it. Since we're flesh and blood, he had to be made. If he wanted to redeem us, to save us, to save humanity, for God so loved the world, if he wanted to rescue us or free us from, from the sin and the wages of sin, which is death. And it's interesting, he says it's the fear of death that causes people to, to live a life of sin. You know, that it seems like it would be the opposite, wouldn't it? Fear of death would cause us to live righteously, but it's often not that way. Um, you only go around once in life, so grab for all the gusto you can get. You know, just live, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. God came to save us from our sins, and it says it was necessary for him to take on human flesh to do that, to become incarnate. Um, so Vine actually answers the skeptic's uh, question, how could uh, God who is immortal die? Okay. Jesus, or God is neither liable to nor capable of death, but the Son of God would become capable of, of death through his incarnation. The argument that because God cannot die and yet Christ died, therefore Christ cannot be God is utterly invalid. Christ, who was eternally one with the Father in Godhead, in the Trinity, became man in order that he would experience death on the cross. He had to become like us. He had to become like the seed of Abraham. And in doing so, he achieved for us an eternal glory. He saved us from our sins. Um, Hebrews 10, another passage in Hebrews, um, beginning in verse 5. Hebrews 10, verse 5. When Christ came into the world through the incarnation, okay, 
He said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. A body. God, God the Father prepared for God the Son a body like the seed of Abraham. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here am I. Here I am, Lord. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And sacrifices and offering and burnt offerings and sin offerings God did not desire, nor were they uh, were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will, O God. And we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, for all time. Okay, God solved our, our sin problem through the incarnation of uh, Jesus Christ. Now, how is it that he could die? Or did he die? There's no physical body physical. Well, What was that? He had a physical death. Yeah, that his soul continued. Yeah, his mission continued. Yeah. Um, being both God and man, he both could and did die, and the gospel records bear uh, irrefutable evidence to the supernatural character of his death. I like what uh, Spurgeon said in a sermon called The Limitless Love of Christ. He says, um, the immortal one, in a sense, surrendered his immortality. Now, you remember that passage in Philippians 2 where it says, um, well, maybe we should read it. <laughs> Glad it's still written. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. And beginning in verse five, uh, let's see down through uh, down through the end, uh, mm -hmm. through verse eleven, five through eleven. Someone want to read that verse? Bob, you get, do you have that? Yeah, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the, in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made a human, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father, to, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus existed in the very nature of God. Okay, the Word became flesh. The Word um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yet, the Word did not grasp uh, the, his equality with God. Okay, he uh, emptied himself. He humbled himself. Now, in what way did Jesus 
limit himself, okay? He had to limit himself in order to die. <laughs> he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. He humbled himself. He, he appeared in human likeness. That is the Word, the eternal God. Was Emmanuel, God with us. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And God exalted him to the highest place. King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, became human and died for us on the cross. Uh, no wonder Paul said it's uh, great as a mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Spurgeon says the immortal one, the immortal God, in a sense, surrendered his immortality. Um, there are, quoting Spurgeon, certain points about Christ's death that are very extraordinary, that are wonderful proofs of God's great love for us. The first is this, Jesus did not ever have to die. Remember, he is the mortal God. He did not have to die. Um, we have to die. You know, if we give our lives for others, we, uh, Spurgeon says, we do not really give our, our lives. We simply pay the debt of nature a little while before it is due. It's appointed unto man once to die. As the book of Hebrews says, after that comes the judgment. But Jesus did not ever have to die. However, it was altogether different in the Lord Jesus Christ's case. Over him, death had no power whatsoever. Uh, let's look at John chapter uh, 10. Um, let's see. John 10, someone read that for us, 17 and 18. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. The command I receive from my Father. This command I receive from my Father. Nobody takes my life from me. <clears throat> he humbled himself. I voluntarily lay down my life. Um, he did not have to die. He took on human flesh and voluntarily gave up his life on the cross of Calvary for our salvation. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, I call you my friends. He died for us willingly at the cross. Um, it is this Jesus whom Paul wrote of he who only has immortality. Who could, without his uh, consent, have laid a hand on the Prince of Peace? None. The Son of God said, um, uh, I'm sorry, let me start over again. Reading uh, Spurgeon here again. Um, 
Who could, without his consent, have laid a hand on the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, and said to him, You shall die? No one could have done that. It was purely voluntary act of Christ to die for all, not merely to die on the cross. Uh, uh, consequently, this is the telling proof of God's love, the sacrifice of Jesus. He has immortality. Remember um, at the tomb of Lazarus, Mary and Martha weeping, uh, their brothers died, and um, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. We're going to talk about the resurrection. Uh, Mary said, uh, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. He who believes in me shall never die. So the, the immortal God, who is not subject to death, gives us the gift of immortality. Now think about that. We are going to be given, in the glory to come, immortal life, immortality. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks a lot about that. This, this uh, flesh subject to death that's mortal will put on immortality and death will be swallowed up in life, a life that's truly life. Okay, So this is the gift that God is giving us, immortality. He's giving us himself. Now the second uh, thing Paul moves on to talk about there in 1 Timothy 6 is this God, this immortal God, lives in unapproachable light. Uh, after alluding to uh, the life of immortality, Paul turns to the subject of the Shekinah glory of God, the light of God, the God of light and truth, the light of glory. Um, what does light symbolize? Holiness. What? Holiness. Holiness, perfection, and glory. And uh, that uh, chapter, uh, 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 John chapter 1 the word the word was with God the word was God um, all things were made by him and, uh, and how does it go it goes on to talk about the light um, in him was life and that life was the light of men the light shines in darkness but the darkness has not understood it or one version says has not overcome it darkness cannot overcome light <clears throat> and so jesus is that uh, uh, according to john 1 here that uh, god who lives in unapproachable light and who gives us the light of life I remember when we talked about the Shekinah glory of uh, God in the past lesson. Uh, it talks about the, the the glory, the presence, of the face of God, if you will. God told Moses, "You cannot see my face. No one can see my face and live." Uh, why is that? Do you think? You see his backside. You see his hand. It's that old hymn that says. Um, uh, about being a cleft of the rock, um, covered there with his hand. Yeah. <clears throat> Why is it that you cannot see the face of God? 
Why is it you can't stare into the sun? What? Why is it that you can't stare into the face of the sun? Yeah. <laughs> we did that this morning. Uh, uh, driving here, it was the sun was coming up in the east. Uh, you just couldn't even look. And then there was a, a rainbow, a, a, a halo around the sun this morning because of the cold and and a rainbow in the sky. Oh, how awesome is that? But how long could you look at the sun? Not very long. Uh, the sun is a, a little light compared to the light of the glory of God. Okay? Um, you cannot see it without being blinded. The light symbolizes God's presence among His people. Like uh, the table of showbread that was in the tabernacle, the table of the face, uh, there was another uh, furnishing in the, in the tabernacle, the lampstand. Remember that? Seven lamps on the lampstand burning oil continually. What's, what's the meaning of that? You know, all those things back then had a lot of meaning to them. That's why uh, God said to Moses, make sure you build everything according to pattern I showed you on the mount. <laughs> There's deep meaning in, in all of it. What was the meaning of the lampstand? The Jewish people still uh, celebrate with the menorah, the, the lampstand and the, the candles that are burning. It, represent, it represented like the bread of the face, the light of God's presence, that He is with them. He is the light of the world. <clears throat> this word unapproachable light is an interesting word it's only found one time in scripture right here 1 Timothy 6 he lives in unapproachable light um, again it's uh, a word that starts with the Greek letter A al alpha uh, al A prositus I'm saying that right, a prositus, um, approachable, but with the a means unapproachable. <clears throat> unapproachable light, that which cannot be approached. Spurgeon again said, God is not a, a light, he is not the light, though he is both actually, but he is light, God is light. And that light and, the, and seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of God is alone, only experienced in Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. So Jesus humbled himself in order to be the physical manifestation of God who, who alone lives in unapproachable light whom no one could ever see, except that when we see Jesus, we see God. So uh, that wonderful passage in John 1 again, chapter 1 says, uh, you know, the Word uh, was light, and the life was the light of men, and verse uh, 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in the face of Jesus, we see the glory of God in a way that we can see. Uh, we cannot, as human beings, see the glory of God except in Jesus Christ.
Uh, there's a great hymn that we sometimes sing uh, by Chris Tomlin, How Great Is Our God. Uh, let's see, I printed out the words of it here. The splendor of a king clothed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. Let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. Thomas explained that he was reading the Psalms and he was reading the 104th Psalm, verse 2 says, he wrapped himself in light. He wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice and trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Uh, and we will all see how great, how great is our God. You know, I had an experience uh, a number of years ago uh, with my my dad and my brothers. <laughs> Real quickly, it was ha it was Halloween, a dark night in um, central Wisconsin, a little town, rural town called Wapaka, Wisconsin, and um, the the town had uh, put on a display for Halloween. I to be a, confess, I confess, I don't like Halloween. <laughs> I don't like the darkness and all the symbolism of it, but so we were going through this old mill that the town had uh, put up, and it was full of goblins and freaks and all kinds of scary things, and you kind of wandered through the darkness. Uh, I was following my dad and my brother, and um, there were, we came to this room that they had prepared, and it was these black sheets were hanging over the entrance to this room and you know spooky things that jumped out at us and the the whole theme was death and blood and gore and then we walked through this black curtain into a room that was brilliant light I'll never forget it was such a such an experience walking out of the darkness into this brilliant light the room was filled with radiant light. The, the ceiling was covered with spotlights and they had sprayed some kind of mist into the room that just all the droplets had magnified the light. It was so bright, it was blinding. I remember I could not even see. My father was ahead of me I had to just grope through the light, holding on to my dad who was groping my, my brother ahead of him and we were trying to get through that brilliant light. And I, and I always think of that when I think about God living in unapproachable light. Um, a, a light that, was, that would be blinding to us. Uh, going out of, walking out of the darkness into to the light. And so you see the symbolism in Scripture that talks about uh, escaping darkness and coming into the light. The light of truth, the light of glory. And that's where God lives. Um, Habakkuk 3 verse 4 uh, the new century version says his glory covers the skies and his praise fills the earth he is a bright light rays of light shine from his hand and there he hides his power he dwells in as the text in 1st Timothy he lives an unapproachable life he dwells one version says it's the Greek word oikos which is our word for a house God's house is a house of light. And when Jesus said in John 14, uh, in my Father's house there are many rooms. 
my father's house. I go to prepare a place for you. It is a house of brilliant, glorious light. And so there are all these passages in Scripture where, where in these theophanies and Christophanies, uh, God appears and it's always in brilliant light. And we're going to look at one of those next time when we're out of time, but uh, Paul on the road to Damascus. Suddenly he's bathed in blinding, brilliant light. And guess what? He was blinded by it. He had to be led by the hand into the city of Damascus. So the, the light of God's presence shone around him. And let me just close uh, real quickly with this uh, conclusion here. Someone has written, we are, If we are not careful, we can allow our eyes to grow dim to the majesty of God, especially for those who have known him for quite some time. Familiar, familiarity might not necessarily breed contempt, but it could breed complacency. To truly worship God, we must have an accurate understanding of who he truly is. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the one who reigns. Uh, he's not the man upstairs. He is the one who reigns. He is robed in majesty and brilliant light. Um, the Lord puts on, uh, strength, uh, on strength as his belt. He is not a distant, absent-minded grandfather who has no idea what's going we're going through he is the one with the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty and in the lord's prayer um, to him be glory and power and majesty forever and ever all that is in heaven and on earth um, is his um, yours is the kingdom O lord and you are exalted as head above it Jesus is the king clothed in majesty before whom all the earth will one day bow and confess his name. Uh, it is he to whom we must say how great is our God. And I want us to, uh, you know, when we go into worship and we sing these hymns, they, they can become so familiar that we become complacent. Think about the words that we sing in worship. And think about the God to whom we're praising and giving glory. And think about that heavenly realm, that home of light that someday we'll enter. And we'll have the eyes to be able to see it somewhat. Angels had to cover their face in the glory of God. But we'll get to see it. Not long for that day, don't you? Amen. All right. Thank you. Pick up here next time. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.